Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom, shakalaka. Hey everybody, welcome to another team preview edition of 48 Minutes, brought to you by 48 Minutes Network. Dot com where you can check us out and get all of our articles and podcasts of the past. Really excited for this one as we're talking to Memphis Grizzlies. Tim Daniel here for representing 48 Minutes where you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, just about everywhere possible, including Spotify. So we're going to talk to Grizzlies here and to bring us uh, to bring on our guest, he is the one of the staff writers, senior staff writers for grizzlybearblues.com. You can also check out his podcast, the Core 4 podcast about the Memphis Grizzlies. And a little bit of Memphis Tigers in there, which I'll have to pick your brain about. Mr. Nathan Chester. Nathan, welcome to 48 Minutes. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is really neat. So tell us a little bit about the Core 4 podcast. Tell us a little bit about Grizzly Bear Blues, what you do for everything, and uh, how, you, how you really got into the business for that side. Okay, so the Core 4 podcast is like there are so many different types of podcasts out there, you know, that are like over an hour long. And for like me personally, there are like certain things that I listen to get like 20 to 30 minutes through and I'm not able to finish it because I mean, we all have stuff going on. It's just hard to block out an hour of your day to listen to like the Bill Simmons podcast or something like that. So uh, Parker Fleming, a, uh, another uh, senior writer for Grizzly Bear Blues, and I came up with the idea and said, let's uh, make a podcast focus- focused a little bit more on the younger audience. Uh, something that's also shorter, too, like 25 to 30 minutes. So the core four is obviously referring to Mike Conley, Tony Allen, Zach Randolph, and Marcus Saul when they played for the Grizzlies. And we also thought it'd be neat to talk about four topics in that 30-minute span during the podcast. So we'll talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. We talk about NBA stuff in general. We'll occasionally hit on some pop culture stuff. And we'll also stir the pot with some hot basketball takes, as you probably got to see last week. Well, that's awesome. That's always a good thing. That's actually a good idea. I think you're right. I think four like hour long podcasts are so it's a draw, only, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're not only difficult to listen to, they're difficult to do. Um we normally go not no pun intended, we normally go about thirty five, forty five minutes. Occasionally we'll hit that forty eight mark with our name, but it's rare. Um so we try to keep that there. But if there's so like big stuff going on, we we have the tendency we're guilty of going over an hour and mixing those is a drag. I mean, if you can get the interesting content to do it, like, definitely. But I, I think there is a market for somebody who just wants to, like, say, like, you're out walking your dog or you're on the way to work, like a 30-minute commute, and you just want to listen to something fast. I really think there is a market for that. Yeah, I think you're completely right there, for sure. So, Nathan, let's get into uh, the Grizzlies this year. Um, obviously, a rough season. Uh, you go 22-60. and 60. You lose Zebo. You lose Vinsanity. Uh, Mike Conley gets hurt, Marcus Saul gets hurt, David Fisdale gets fired in the middle of the year. I still want to take that for data shirt, by the way. So if you can point me in the direction where I can get one, please let me know. Definitely the best slogan of the 2017 season. Yeah, for sure. Um, so obviously a 22 and 60 year, not very good. Not you know not what people expected for this Grizzlies team going into the year for everything that happened, the drama they went through. But then um, have had a really good off season. Actually, I've been really keeping my eye on the Grizzlies, not just getting new uniforms which I'm always all for new unis. Um, 
By the way, can we get a run of the Vancouver ones again? We just need those I, back. I mean, the new uniforms, it seemed like they were trying to mesh the past and the future as much as they could. So yeah. you saw in the light blues, they kind of added the waistband with like the big Grizzly Bear logo on the pants. Kind of a throwback to the Vancouver days. Now, I want a complete retro alternate teal and black and red. With the tribal yeah. stuff around the, the yeah. neck and the yes, I want those too. I mean, there, there's no retro jersey from the '90s that's worn more than that one. Like people obviously have interest in it. Man, if Nike makes a throwback, it's gonna be something. You know, it's funny is by the time that this podcast goes up, I'm writing an article for our website about the top ten jerseys that need to come back, and that's on my list. Where, where um, is it on your list? Five. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I actually have – I didn't have the Raptors-Vince Carter era on there. I had that one above the Raptors one. Okay, that you had it above the Raptors yes, one. Yes, I that, did. Those, those Raptors ones are sick back in the day. Yes, I love them. I love them. But I went with – I guess, spoiler alert. I went with, um, obviously, the Orlando Magic pinstripe. That's nice, yeah. Real yeah. nice. Um, the Chicago Bulls cursive, Chicago across the chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The actual Lakers showtime. I know this one coming out in the start of the LeBron era is kind of an homage I don't like to the, that. I don't like the black stripe. Like, I wish they just got straight showtime. Like, there's really not yeah. a whole – There's a if you want to go straight legacy, the Lakers are a great franchise to do that. But the black stripe just kind of looks out of place. Yeah, and I had the Hawks with the bird across the chest from, like, 99. Oh, yeah. Because that's yeah. just so hideous you have to have it. <laughs> Agreed. So we got off topic there. That's okay. That's what we do here. Um – so, you know, this offseason, you signed Kyle Anderson, who was a big part of the Spurs last year. Yep. That Spurs team's going to be unrecognizable at this point. Um, obviously, you get Jaron Jackson Jr., who everyone loved in the draft. Um, I don't know if there's people who are more plus like excited about him and Wendell Carter, it seemed like, than anybody else, including Aitren, Aiden, and maybe Luca. Um, got I mean, ever, you know. I think, like, so in the weeks leading up to the draft, so I got to stay on brand whenever I come on a podcast. Trey Young was my guy. It may not be a very popular opinion to say you think Trey Young could be the best player coming out of the draft. That was my honest opinion about it. Now, realistically, I knew there was no way the Grizzlies were going to end up drafting him. So Luka Doncic was mainly my guy. I'm thinking like maybe yeah. maybe he can come in and have a Donovan Mitchell type level impact his rookie season. I think he's that good. And I wasn't that high on Jaron Jackson. And then I saw him play in Summer League. And then I started really digging into the tape. And I see – no. I wrote an article about him, I think, just about over a month ago. I think it was called Believing in Jaron Jackson Jr. I gave Anthony Davis as kind of a rough ceiling for what he can be. And the simple reason for that is there's nothing that he can't do. We talk a lot about in the modern NBA, like the perfect modern big versatility – but there's literally nothing he can't do on a basketball court. His defense has been talked about ad nauseum. He's a great um, – he had average – he had a higher blocking percentage than Anthony Davis did in college. And Anthony Davis was the best shot blocker I've ever seen in my lifetime playing yeah. college basketball. He's a great rim protector. He can defend the perimeter coming out of college better than Anthony Davis did. He averaged, I think, one and a half threes per game for Michigan State. And Anthony Davis didn't take threes in college. And he averaged more points per 40 minutes than Anthony Davis coming out of Kentucky. So I see this guy who has all these attributes. He's a great athlete. You also got to see in summer league, he can take players off the dribble. So when he pops out to the three-point line off a pick and roll, he can create for himself. Now, he'll never be a wing, but he was also a 6'3 point guard freshman year. So he has guard, he has guard skills. 
He can create for himself. He blocks shots. He can defend the perimeter. He hit eight threes in his first summer league game, and he shot 40% from three at Michigan State. You tell me where the ceiling is because it, <laughs> it looks limitless. So I like what you're saying. I'm, I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down. But in the thing with Anthony Davis, I will say this. That Kentucky team he played with was loaded. Oh, it absolutely was. And yes. He had, yeah, he had a chance to have like more. He obviously had more of an impact in college with like Kentucky winning the national championship. Uh, the re, the different the main difference in college between Jaron Jackson and Anthony Davis isn't necessarily their impact when they were on the court. It's simply because Jaron Jackson played less. Now that's an obvious question in and of itself. If Jaron Jackson is so great, why did Tom Izzo, one of the greatest college coaches ever, why did he not play him, or why did he not play him more? And the obvious answer for that is he couldn't stop fouling everything in sight. <laughs> now, and they had uh, Nick Nurse too. Yeah, yeah. But um, I did some digging uh, for that same article that I wrote back, and like Joel Embiid had a similar foul rate in college. Shaquille O'Neal had a similar foul rate at LSU. You ever heard the argument about how like a high turnover rate for point guards like denotes like a high level of aggressiveness, and it's actually a good sign early in their careers. Yeah. So like, like high block or high foul numbers for a big man is usually a good sign of aggressiveness early on. I really think with like he gets more discipline in the NBA, he'll be perfectly fine in that regard. Oh, I, I think he'll be awesome. I have no doubt about it. And um, I and I think if it wasn't for that foul difficulty, I think he could have had a similar impact that Anthony Davis had at Kentucky at Michigan State. Yeah, and he also had to compete with veteran guys. And Izzo's, able, yeah. you know, Izzo's not the you know the biggest guy within that case either, but. Let's talk about a little bit of us in that draft. Uh, Javon Carter, who was a second-round steal, um, you know, a guy that a lot of people were excited about, you know, had a great career at West Virginia. You guys get him in the second round. You know, um, you get Garrett Temple in a, in a trade. You get rid yeah. of Ben McLemore. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> you get Dakari Johnson, who that's a good, interesting prospect with upside he, that you can probably, do some stuff he with. Pro- he probably will not be on the opening night roster when the season began. And part of the reason for that is uh, they had, like, talks about it about two weeks ago that the Grizzlies were in talks with uh, Shelvin Mack uh, progressing with the deal. And that officially got announced today. Yeah. And the frustrating thing for that is is that um, you can make the case that if Mike Conley goes down, Shelvin Mack would be a better fit starting lineup with Andrew Harrison. But uh, Shelvin Mack is a veteran, a good, solid veteran point guard, and he will probably be taking up all of Javon Carter's minutes, which is pretty frustrating. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, overall, what do you, what grade do you give this Memphis offseason? Because I'll tell you, if you look at NBA.com, I've been kind of using this with a few different guests we've had. David Aldridge had said they had the fifth best offseason of any NBA team this year. I mean, I really don't see what they could have done differently. I guess you could say at the very top if they could have convinced, like, Will Barton to take less money or somehow find a way to convince Tyreek Evans to come back, even though that relationship is pretty much shattered somehow in the second half of the season. We still don't really know what happened with that, but something obviously happened. But from, like, what they were able to do with what they were given, I really don't see what else they could have done I mean, you trade Deontay Davis and Ben McLemore, which is essentially two young players who are dead weight, and you go and you get a solid older veteran role player in Garrett Temple, who shot 39% from three last year, is a very solid defender, and can play point guard for stretches of time. I mean, I don't see how that's not like making the most of what you've been given. 
Um, Kyle Anderson, uh, I was a little bit skeptical of it at first because I thought they needed to use that money to sign maybe a more prolific shooter that was on the market. But I, and I wrote an article about this, I think like a week or two ago, talking about the Grizzlies have never had more playmakers in the starting lineup that they've ever had before. So two years ago, Mike Conley, like his shooting percentages when he was off the ball, it was insane. Like he was in the 90th percentile and above. If you have someone like Kyle Anderson in the starting lineup, you can play Conley off the ball more and allow Conley to be more effective in spaces that he may not be able to do when he's just running the pure point guard position. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think Conley, really, his health is the biggest part of this. Um, with the excitement for the Grizzlies, I have a lot of hopes for them. I do every year. Uh, it seems like, you know, with Conley, you know, if Marcus Saw can come back and be healthy, uh, this could be a team that can really compete and really make some noise in the Western Conference that is obviously very loaded. A Western Conference, they're very comfortable being in the playoffs and minus this year, of course. So I, I really have high expectations for this team. Should I not? Um, it depends on what you mean by high expectations. Uh, playoffs. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, playoffs. Okay. I think that is um, a fair expectation. You could say maybe it's a tad too optimistic. I think it's a very real possibility. I think they can do it. Um, I also think it would not be the end of the world if the Grizzlies don't make the playoffs this year because when the Grizzlies traded for Jeff Green uh, back in 2015, they sent a protected first-round pick to the Boston Celtics. Oh, yeah, don't make the playoffs then. Don't do it. So if they don't make the playoffs this year and what's considered by a lot of experts and analysts to be a weaker draft class next year, maybe it'd be be better to go ahead and let that pick convey to Boston this year if they don't make the playoffs. So either way the season goes, it's not going to break my heart. They're going to be too good for it to be a slog, just like a horrible slog like it was last year. But do they have the capability to make it? Yes. Now, Mike Conley and Marcus All, I can't see them either missing uh, less than 10 games and still making it in. The Western Conference is just simply too loaded and too deep. And the Grizzlies, I mean, for like the last five years, they've been a very top-heavy team. So if Conley or Gasol misses significant time, this team will be going down in a hurry. Now, the problem with saying the Grizzlies will make the playoffs, which, again, I think they're capable of doing, uh, when Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol are both healthy, they've always made the playoffs in the grit and grind era. Who are they getting in over, though? Let's go down. Let's go down to the Western Conference for a second. Okay, got, maybe 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 playoffs high, but uh, you mm-hmm. know. So I mean, obviously, yeah. Golden State, Houston, Golden State, and Houston, OKC, uh, Utah. Yeah, uh, San Antonio won what forty five last year without Kawhi, and they're adding Demar Derozan in his place. They'll win fifty. They could very well win fifty. Yeah, you got to think the Lakers will make it because of the LeBron effect. Yeah, LeBron effect. Denver won 47 games with Paul Millsap missing, what, a month or two? Yeah. And maybe Minnesota's locker room chemistry with Jimmy Butler and all of that breaks down, and maybe Memphis can hop over them. But, I mean, Dallas will be no pushover either. Luka could have a great – Luka Doncic could have a great impact in his rookie year, and they have DeAndre Jordan in place there. Dennis Smith could take a leap. It's not going to be easy. They're going to have to be healthy, and some things are going to have to fall their way in the rest of the Western Conference. Yeah, I think when you look at the Western Conference, I think the only team you can promise doesn't have a shot at the playoffs right now might be the Kings. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're out of No, then the Clippers. I don't think the Clippers will make it, but... I mean, their best player is Tobias Harris, so yeah, it's not looking too great for them at the moment. Well, 
Well, one of our guys, Kyle, will be very upset with you talking bad about Tobias Harris like that. No, 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 well, I mean, I know, I know. He's, a very, he's a very good, solid player, but I think we can all agree Tobias Harris is the best player on your team. You're not going anywhere. No, no, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, yeah, that Clippers one, that, that's going to probably up now. That's going to be a good one. That's a good interview we did as well. Um, J.B. Bickerstaff, obviously, interim last year, gets the job now. Um, it's officially his team. Actually, let's backtrack on that before we really get to Bickerstaff. Let's start with Fizdale, because oh, this this is my topic. Just just lay it on me. I was I'm a big Fizdale guy. I'm not gonna lie to you. So when he came when he when he got the job, I was excited. I knew about what he did in Miami with that team and helping them win a title on Spolstra's staff. And then I thought he was a guy that really had a shot and deserved to be an NBA head coach. You know, had a really good first year. Obviously had the infamous, like we joked earlier, take that for data fights in the press conference when he was upset about the Spurs series. And then midway through this year, stuff comes out. Him and Marcus Saul aren't getting along. And then next thing you know, he's fired. So, so what, 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 what happened? For the people who aren't in Memphis, what did we miss? Okay, so let's wind back up to the very beginning here. And I'll go ahead and qualify this. I am not a Fisdale guy, and most Memphis people are not Fisdale people anymore. So back at the very beginning when the Grizzlies were looking for a new coach in the summer of 2016, we find out Fisdale is one of the top targets. And Fisdale sounds awesome. Like when we hear the things that he's saying, uh, he says he wants to bring championship DNA to Memphis. He said he wants to bring Memphis into the modern era of the NBA, the way they play offense, and all these sorts of things, pushing Memphis to the future. He says, I want to parade on Bill Street. That sounds awesome in theory. So sure. Once, yeah, once he becomes the head coach, things are going great the first half of the season. Uh, they have a 24-point comeback point comeback win of the Warriors. I believe they beat the Rockets twice. I want to say they were 18-8 and eight at one point. Marcus Saul's an all-star. Mike Conley's having the best season of his career. Things are just going awesome. And then the second half of the season rolls around. They end up with a seven-game losing streak, which I think was the longest since, like, before 2010. Like, the year, the, the year before the first year they made the playoffs in the grit and grind era, they didn't even have a losing streak this long. So I was kind of of the opinion at the time, the Grizzlies kind of always go through these rough patches in March and April. They'll be fine. But there was obviously something, like, really different this time. And we would obviously come to find out what that was later. So the play, they do just enough to get into the playoffs because that is how bad the second half of the season was. They end up going 43 and – I can't even count. 43 and – 39. <laughs> the 39. And they get to the playoffs against the Spurs. He gives the infamous take that for data rant, and that was just awesome. He, he The people of Memphis really rallied behind him with that. And, uh, you know, they lose in six to the Spurs. I think that's about generally what everyone expected. It was a really competitive, really exciting series. And everything was well. So, in the offseason, the Grizzlies move on from Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, two key pieces of the team. And a lot of people seem to think that that was mainly his influence on that. He doesn't get the final call on that, but he seemed to be pushing for that. And that didn't set well right with the other people. So, at the beginning of this season, starts off great. You start off 3-0, and you start off, you win your season opener against the Pelicans, you beat the Warriors and cost Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry to get ejected from the game. I mean, how great is that? The best. Yet, you go on the road and beat the Houston Rockets, 
So now you start to really feel yourself, right? You start to really feel yourself there. We've beaten the two top contenders in the Western Conference for three and zero. I think they eventually get to like six and two, and then Mike Conley gets hurt. And Mike Conley had been dealing with like lower lower body nagging injuries just constantly. It had finally just pulled over into this season, and that's when everything falls off the tracks. And it all culminates. I want to say they were like nine and sixteen at the time because that's how bad it had gotten. And they're playing the Brooklyn Nets at home, and Mark Gasol gets benched in the fourth quarter. I feel like there's a few unspoken rules in the NBA. And you can put your foot down on certain issues, but one thing you cannot do as a head coach is bench your star player, especially when it's a close game that you're trying to win, that your team desperately needs to try to win. And so he gets fired the very next day. Now, at the beginning, public opinion was against Marcus Gasol. Uh, you hear LeBron James basically calling Gasol a coach killer saying Fisdale didn't deserve this, that Fisdale was doing the best he could. And I think Stephen A. Smith said, you can't blame the Grizzlies for firing multiple coaches in multiple years. It's simply what they do. But you come to find out uh, there was, a, I think, a, t- a bowling point back in the 2016-2017 season. Uh, David Fisdale was going around challenging all the players, criticizing them, which is kind of something he had started to become known for. He asked them, he asked, he went to each individual player in the locker room, and I think this is on an article in Bleacher Report, walks up to each individual player and asks him, do they think they can win a championship? And one by one, they all say yes, and he gets to Marcus Saul. Marcus Saul says no. Fisdale asks him why. Saul says, I don't think we have the right leadership. Oh, and, okay. And Fisdale reportedly told him, said, I get it, I get it. You want Greg Popovich? He said, I want LeBron James. And so from that point, that seems to be the moment where everyone thought their relationship totally fell apart. They basically stopped speaking to each other at that point. But here's the problem with Fisdale. It's not just treating your star player wrong. It's coming into a franchise, a team that had made the playoffs for seven years in a row. They've been to a Western Conference Finals. Not every team is going to be competing for a championship every single year. Right. By any objective standard, the Grizzlies were very successful. They were a great team. They had the third longest playoff streak in the NBA during that time. And here comes David Fisdale in from Miami saying, there's going to be some changes around here. There needs to be a new culture. I'm bringing the championship DNA. No offense to David Fisdale, but I think if I was an assistant coach on that Miami Heat team, I would have won two championships with LeBron James. (laughs) I mean, he seemed to be taking ownership and credit for that, and you come into a franchise that has had a ton of success without you. Fisdale seems to think, y'all need to prove it to me, when in reality, he needed to prove it to them, and it seems like he never really did. So he kind of lost the locker room, which is something you absolutely can't do as a head coach. And he lost his star player in Marcus Saul. Marcus Saul, he has a little bit of a reputation for being moody, but he has been a great teammate. He loves the city of Memphis, and he has given the Grizzlies his all ever since he arrived in Memphis back in the Pau Gasol trade. There is really no one criticizing him for that anymore. So that's pretty much the story of what happened. Um, I think he'll be success. I think Fisdale will be successful in New York. I'm really not a big fan of him X's and O's wise. I think J.B. Bickerstaff is superior to him in that regard because in the one season where they did make the playoffs, the Grizzlies offense, even with like an improved Mike Conley, they were just so stagnant because their play calling was so 
predictable all the time. But I think there's a very good chance the Knicks will tank next year, and I think there's a good chance Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant will make their way to New York next year. So Thank you! I've been mm-hmm. saying this! So I think Fizdale will be good no matter the situation in New York over the next year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that – I'm not guaranteeing it, but I think it's very likely – um, so I'm, I'm so glad you made that point. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate I, you. Oh, anytime. Like, I just think, uh, first off, I feel like social media may bully Kevin Durant out of Golden State. <laughs> he, he seems to allow it to happen to himself, getting into arguments with 12 He's for real in his feelings. Like. I, I really want, I also have been uh, writing some articles for a, a Hoop Analysis Network, which is fairly new. Mm-hmm. I really want to write a piece for him about how a player who has accomplished all that he has and has been as great as he has, why he can't be secure in any of it, his legacy, any of it. I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, you know, it'd be one thing, not that we're going to get on a Kevin Durant batch here, but it'd be one thing if Kevin Durant won at OKC and then left, you know? Kind of like LeBron leaving now is kind of like, well, he did what he told us he was going to do. It sucks he's leaving, but hey, we appreciate it. You know, and I'm sure there's still Cleveland fans that'll be pissed. It just it happens everywhere. Yeah. But if Kevin Durant won in OKC, you know, if they held if they hold on and then they go play Cleveland in the finals and they beat them, I don't think it's gonna be big of a deal. But it's what happened is what it is, and you know, obviously we can talk about that till you know the cows come in. But yeah. let's just go ahead and let's talk about other things. <laughs> Nathan, here's my one question about the Memphis Grizzlies last year going into. Not really going into this year. That didn't make any sense to me. And maybe you can clear it up, or maybe you feel the same way I do. Why in the world, when everyone knew Tyreek Evans was leaving, why didn't they trade him at the deadline? Well, the answer at the time was, yeah, that makes no sense. Uh, Chris Wallace, the GM, needs to be fired. (laughs) Uh, They reportedly had an offer for Denver, had Emmanuel Moutier, two second-round picks. That meant you may want a first-round pick, but I mean... Considering, I would have taken that in a heartbeat. Yeah, considering where they were in negotiations at that point against the clock, you should have done that in an absolute heartbeat. Uh, the Celtics were offering uh, Yabusel and two second-round picks. Again, I like Yabusel. Yeah. I think yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, take what you can get, even if you're not a super high on him. But it came down to – and Chris Wallace was essentially insulting the media's intelligence a little bit, telling them that we really think Chris uh, Tyreek Evans will resign. You know, that kind of kept the dogs at bay for a little while, essentially saying kind of using Tyreek's nostalgia for Memphis because he played for the Memphis Tigers. Yep. Yeah, saying, like, he loves the city, so we think that keeping him here and not trading him will improve our chances of being able to retain him in free agency and use your mid-level exception to sign him. And I, I don't believe he lied. I do believe that was his honest intention at the time. He was trying to spin the fact that he couldn't get a first-round pick into a positive situation. Um, it does appear, and like we've all heard murmurs and whispers at this point, that there was some sort of breaking point in the second half of the season. I think Tyreek was very upset about sitting out for two weeks, thinking he's about to get traded, and then they don't do it and tell him to come back. That probably played a very key role in that, I guess, but... Uh, there does seem to be some point when the relationship between the Grizzlies and Tyreek Evans is like totally broke off. So, like he, Chris Wallace, pretty much knew he was in a situation, a no-win situation at that point. He knew Tyreek Evans was going to be leaving at the end of free agency, and the Grizzlies were going to get nothing, and he was going to get crucified a second time by Memphis media. 
Yeah, I, uh, I I was so shocked by that, especially with, I mean, not to compare the talent by any means yet, even though I think he's going to be a really good player, especially with a guy like Dylan Brooks, who's really up and coming, who played in the, I guess, what the hell, the Futures game is what it's called now. We need to go back to the rookie sophomore game, um, who is a guy I like a lot, I think has a lot of upside. Um, so, you know, I thought with him and really getting him more minutes in a year that was a lost season, I thought it made all the sense in the world, but... Let me get your take on Dylan Brooks. I think, like I said, he's a good two-way player. He's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of raw abilities that he's still kind of finding, especially in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. I loved him at Oregon. Oh, absolutely. Um, I loved him in the NCAA tournament. So what what do you think he can be? What's his upside? What's his ceiling? What's his floor? You know, I had someone, uh, another NBA writer, tell me like uh, back like mid-season, they said, I hope Dylan Brooks can become a uh, another Danny Green. And I told him, and I was kind of laughed at at the time, I said, I think he's already better than Danny Green right now. Um, first off, the Grizzlies did not have a surplus of very good perimeter defenders. I mean, they were like 25th in defensive efficiency. I don't think that's really much of a secret. But he was guarding LeBron James's, the other elite, the Kevin Durant's, the other elite players when they played those teams. Now, part of that is they had nobody else on the wing that could even try to defend those guys. But he was taking on those roles. And he showed so much potential over the last year. There does seem to be some disagreement about what he can become. Um, I think Chris Middleton, who was also a second-round pick, could be a very good upside for him. Andre Iguodala. Uh, like, so Danny Green is a good three and D player and Dylan Brooks could definitely become that, but Danny Green can't create his own shot. Like, as I heard Spurs fans complain all the time about how he couldn't dribble. We saw it all last year. Dylan Brooks can create for himself a uh, final game of the season against the Oklahoma city thunder. I think he had 38 points taking Russell Westbrook off the dribble. He can score from all three levels on the court at the rim, mid range, three pointer, so I think he could become an elite role player for this Grizzlies team for years to come, and he's definitely going to be a foundation for this team going forward. There does seem to be some disagreement on what he can become. Like, there are certain people like me who thinks, oh, he could end up being a borderline all-star role player, and then there are also people think he'll be better suited to be like the sixth man or the seventh man on a really good team in the future. But uh, no matter what you think about him, the Grizzlies were very, very lucky. And it was a very good find to pick him like in the mid-40s in the draft last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, gosh, both those Oregon guys, him and Jordan Bell, yeah, just kind of yeah. sinking slightly. You know, I'm a Bulls fan, so I, I still am very upset about Jordan Bell and the whole cash <laughs> considerations. Um, if a smart front office like wants your second-round pick and is willing to give you cash for it, Never do it. Never yeah. do it. There's obviously yeah. somebody they think that is really good at that spot. You should go find them. Yeah, especially the team that's won two of the last three and now three of the last four. And when Draymond leaves, is going to be their next Draymond. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not about that. Yeah. So, both the, and that's what I thought was great. So, um, which Harrison do you guys have, Aaron or Andrew? A- Andrew Harrison. God, I get them mixed up all I live in Cincinnati, so I'm like right <laughs> yeah. by I'm like an hour north of UK. Yeah, yeah. And so like all I know them as is the Harrison twins. I don't know who's who. <laughs> I just know one started over Devin Booker in the NCAA tournament. That's all I know. Actually and I believe that was Aaron Harrison, believe it or not. Aaron Harrison's out of the league now. I, I don't think he's on any NBA team. So, you know, he, Mr. Harrison, as we'll say, mm-hmm. um, 
kind of has, you know, like, he's a guy who's kind of been in another down the league, kind of like played in the G League for a little bit, and then was back, back in the league. Really kind of got a lot of time with Memphis last year. Um, what 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 is your expectation here? Because I did see your tweet today where you said you thought he was better than Shelvin Mack, who the Grizzlies just signed. Um, so what, what do you expect from him this year? Is this going to be something where if Conley does go down, that him and Mack are really going to be kind of maybe 50-50 on the yeah. minutes for that point guard spot? Yeah, you see... Not that we want Conley to go down. We're not planning for that. I mean, if he goes down, like you could say maybe Shelvin Mack would plug the gap better, but let's be honest, the Grizzlies are a sinking ship. Conley goes down, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, the, the funny thing is for me is that like talking positively about Andrew Harrison means I have to eat a little bit of crow. <laughs> because his Don't we all? yeah his rookie season uh two years ago oh my lord he was terrible just just awful like he was all, all right i'll say something positive about him he was a pretty good on-ball defender not off ball he'd get lost all the time and like spot-up shooters would kill him but like offensively he was playing about like 20 minutes a night as conley's primary backup point guard and people were telling me to be patient because, like, he can grow up. But I saw a player who he may be tall for a point guard and have length at six foot six, but he had really slow feet. He couldn't explode past anybody. I believe at one point it went up a little bit, but not much. He was shooting uh, like thirty three percent from the field and like twenty percent from the three uh, from three. And again, it's not like he's playing limited minutes and putting up these terrible percentages. He's playing over twenty minutes a night. And I remember I think I wrote an article two years about two years ago about this. Uh, Ricky Rubio for his career is like a thirty nine percent shooter from uh, just thirty nine percent shooter in general and like a twenty eight percent shooter from three. And that ranked him is one is like one of the two worst volume shooters in NBA history. And then you compare that to Andrew Harrison, who's shooting like 32% from the field and like 20% from three. And I'm like, this guy is garbage. (laughs) Like, I'm all for investing in younger players and giving younger players minutes so that they can improve and reach their potential. But there needs to be like younger players who like show upside. (laughs) Yeah, he just didn't show that in his first year. And at the beginning of last year, it was kind of looking like more of the same. And I was almost just like cut him. And it's hilarious to me because David Fisdale was, like, one of his biggest supporters. Like, Fisdale was the one who was wanting to keep playing him when other people were, like, bench him. He's terrible. And right after Fisdale got fired and Bickerstaff was made the interim coach, Harrison, like, was playing like we had never seen him before. I believe there was, like, a 10-game stretch where he was averaging 16-6, and like, on 45% shooting after Conley went down. I'm thinking, like, well, okay, this could be a backup point guard for the future. Where's this been? So I, I don't know if just like a new system or just a new sense of discipline with someone new helped unlock that with him. But he's always been a solid defender, like I said. And if he can play on offense the way – if he can be a secondary playmaker, help lead the second unit, and play as solid as he did in the second half of this past year, I'm kind of high on him. I mean okay. – yeah, I mean, from like a positional aspect, he's a six-six point guard, and if he can do what he did the second half last year, I think he's a better option than Shelvin Mack, who again is a solid veteran option. But Harrison's younger, and you got to decide where you want to invest your time in. Yeah, absolutely. So let me get your take on this real quick. Um, we do this for everybody. What is your bold prediction? Your bold prediction 
for the Memphis Grizzlies this year? Bold prediction. See, I could go with I could go in a positive or negative direction with this. Yep. You know, I was telling uh, one of my friends, and I'll just put this is a super hot take, and I in no way believe this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it for the views, okay? Go for it. I'm going to love it. The Grizzlies will have home court advantage in the playoffs. Oh! You want me to explain? I, I, I do, actually. <laughs> Please do, yes. Okay, so it's already a very optimistic projection to even say the Grizzlies will make the playoffs. Because, like I said, who are you going to put them in over, even if Conley and Gasol are healthy? But if you are going to be optimistic and you say they're going to get in, I don't know, Minnesota, or they're going to get in over Denver, we saw last year that three through eight were separated by, like, what, two or three games? Yeah. So, I mean, why not add that two two or three extra games if you're being optimistic? Maybe they win a few big games on the road that they're not supposed to. So if you're going to be that optimistic to take the leap and say they're going to make the playoffs, I don't know why you don't want to take that extra baby step to even suggest that home court's a possibility. Just a hot take. Hey, man, I'm all for the hot uh, takes. I dig it. So Do I think that me... will happen? Probably not. <laughs> but if it does, you can say I told you so in 48 minutes. Yeah, I'll say I said it with absolute confidence and I 100% believe it to be true. <laughs> So, let me ask you this, because we're talking Memphis basketball. Let's talk about the Memphis Tigers real quick before I get you out of here. Okay. How confident are you now that DJ Jeffries is decommitted from Kentucky that him and James Wiseman will be playing for the Memphis Tigers in 2019? I would say there's a 90% chance DJ Jeffries is a Memphis Tiger and about a 70% chance James Wiseman's a Memphis Tiger. I say that because, first off, it's already, like, we found out today that James Wiseman's going to keep playing at East High School with Memphis. Yep. So he's not leaving. He's staying at home. And uh, coaches don't just recruit you at Memphis. The city recruits you. Uh, The people of Memphis love Memphis basketball, both Grizzlies and Tigers. And so when James Wiseman, like, people recognize him. When he walks into a restaurant, people walking down the street, he has people clapping for him, telling him to go to Memphis. I really think that means something. Uh, Jeffries is going to be in Memphis for Memphis Madness, you know, like Big Blue Madness for Kentucky. Yep. So, um, oh, do I know? Uh, <laughs> I think uh, Yo Gotti is going to be there. Maybe one other rapper. Be about ten thousand people in the FedEx Forum, just li- living it up. Yeah, I don't see any way DJ Jeffries on his official visit during that time won't commit to Memphis. Uh, Wiseman, along with Penny Hardaway, who. Even though injuries like uh, definitely shortened his career and what he could have been, I, I think it's fair to say Penny Hardaway is a top ten, top fifteen player of all time when it comes to like who's the most iconic. He is. So you've probably never listened to my show before. If you haven't, totally cool. I'm not mad at you. Um, <laughs> Penny Hardaway is my favorite player of all time. So obviously, with the teams I root for, I had to add the Memphis Tigers. Now that he is the coach of the Memphis Tigers, I actually have. I don't know how young you are. I think you said you're in college. So you're yeah, yeah I'll me. be 21 in September. Okay, I'm 29, so yes, you're much younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have the original Penny Little Penny ad poster hanging up in my office at my house. <laughs> I've seen the Little Penny ads. They're actually pretty sick. They are incredible. They're a little bit so, before my time, but... like that's, Penny- that, 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 Nathan, Nathan, yes, we know they're before your time. We understand. <laughs> Uh, but when like, Penny Hardaway comes into your living room, I mean, I really think that even means something to people who are younger than me that he's recruiting. 
And when you consider that Wiseman and Jeffries played with the guys, or not Jeffries, but Wiseman played with the people on East High School, they have friends on that team. And uh, DJ Jeffries and Wiseman are very close friends. I it, It's hard for me, unless he's just really into the fact that, like, the Carl Anthony Towns, the DeMarcus Cousins have been through Kentucky. I honestly believe James Wiseman and DJ Jeffries will be Memphis Tigers. So how big is this Memphis bandwagon going to get for the Tigers in the next couple of years? Did you see me uh, ruffle some feathers on Kentucky Twitter last week? I didn't, but I'm all for it. I um I put something, and it wasn't meant to be fully serious. This is something to stir the pot a little bit. I said so, so it's really beautiful to see how Memphis is leaving both Kentucky and Louisville in the dust over the next five years. I I, <laughs> I said it was like a legion. It said there was, uh, I think I had 120 replies. Did they threaten to murder your cat? I had one person, because I'm in in the ministry, and I had one person tweet me and says, you need to get out of the ministry because Jesus doesn't even love you. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so right. And someone else was like asking me about it. And uh, have you ever seen Star Wars? Nathan, I'm 29 years old. Okay, I have a Return of the Jedi poster okay, in my office right okay. next to my Penny Hardaway poster. Then you'll uh, then you'll love this. So I said, Kentucky Twitter, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. And I had this person reply to me and said, you're calling a scum? And you call yourself a follower of Christ? Blocked. And then I had one person come to me and say something like, Y'all are so irrelevant in Memphis. Y'all haven't made a tournament since John Calipari left. And I'm like, dude, Google takes five minutes. We've been to four <laughs> since then. So that's the kind of people I was dealing with. I had a few intelligent conversations, but it was just meant to stir the pot. Now, in all seriousness, in Memphis, uh, first off, they have a really good, they have a top 20 recruiting class that Penny got in under three months for this coming year. Right. They're already tied to multiple four stars and five stars for 2019. They'll probably get at least one or two of those, like Trenton Watford and Matthew Hurt. So in Memphis, like I think we'll get James Wiseman and DJ Jeffries, along with some of these other prospects in the team they already have, can you really look me in the eye and say Kentucky will be more talented in 2019 than Memphis? I don't think so. Man, you're like getting me excited. Like I was already <laughs> debating getting on the Memphis Tiger bandwagon because my favorite player is the coach. There's room for more, man. Hop on after Tuffy's yeah. got, after I'm about Tuffy. to order. I'm about to order a hoodie, a t-shirt, some shorts. Like that's just how I do it. Like my my it's... my biggest dream. As not, not just a Grizzlies fan, not as an NBA fan, not as any type of sports fan, just in general, would be to see Memphis and Kentucky play in the Final Four and Memphis beat them. I, I would cry. I would legitimately cry. <laughs> I think that would be great. So, Nathan, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this uh, Memphis Grizzlies team preview, which you were awesome on. I really enjoyed your time. Um, let's get it real quick before we get you out of here. Go ahead again and shout out your website your podcast, your Twitter account, anything you want to shout out to where people can keep up with you, the floor is yours. Yes, you can follow my writing at uh, grizzlybearblues.com. I'm on Twitter at BigNateChester. You can follow me there. Yeah, you can see my posts there. Um, you can also follow the Core 4 podcast, like we said at the beginning of the show. Uh, me and Parker Fleming, another writer for Grizzly Bear Blues, we only spend about 25 to 30 minutes, and we talk about four topics with the Grizzlies, NBA, and pop culture in general. So y'all should definitely give that a listen. So yeah, just follow my writing and listen to my podcast. 
Excellent. Um, well, Nathan, this was awesome. I had a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. And we are starting a college show this year, so we'll probably have you on for the Memphis te- uh, Grizz- uh, Tigers team preview as well. So. Awesome, man. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. And this has been 48 Minutes Memphis Grizzlies Team Preview Edition. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and so many more. Everyone, have a great week and take it easy.